Welcome to the Achievable Podcast, where we help you start your finance career by passing the FINRA SIE exam. All right, welcome to the first ever Achievable FINRA Podcast. Uh, I'm Tyler York. I'm the founder of Achievable, uh, and I've got here with me our, our resident FINRA expert, Brandon Rith. If you want to say hi, Brandon. Hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, we both are new to podcasts, so forgive us uh, if we are a little bit amateur at the start, but I think we have a lot of cool information to share, especially Brandon, uh, and so I think this will be a lot of fun and hopefully be valuable for you guys. Um, I think to kick things off, uh, you know, first let me tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do with our podcast. Uh, we'll talk about our respective companies, right? Myself with Achievable, Brandon with Basic Wisdom. Uh, and then we'll just jump right into what is the SIE exam, uh, which is sort of our first test and arguably it's the most important test in if you want to get a finance job, uh, which is uh, what we're all here to help you with. Um, so, I mean, Achievable, really quickly, I think we think of ourselves as um, a company that helps experts train the next generation of employees. Uh, and we have built a best-in-class learning platform to do that. Uh, it's for your phone and computer. It, it's really it's built functionally for your phone uh, from the get-go. So it's not like kind of like a dumb window into a desktop product like a lot of other um, mobile products. Uh, and we use data and learning science to really empower you as a student and give you the best learning experience. Uh, every time you're interacting with the product, we, you know, whether it's say what you answering a question on what is an option spread, um, you know, we make a data point and timestamp it. And over time and over thousands of data points, we can actually build a really good understanding of your knowledge of the material and use that to give you a better uh, test prep program, attack your weaknesses, and improve your knowledge and memory, help you pass the test. Um, yeah, and that's achievable. And I think, you know, we've, we sought out Brandon uh, and his basic wisdom company because he's been one of the best instructors on the market for a long time. Uh, and the way that he approaches it mirrors our approach, which is, you know, it's not rocket science. Uh, we're, we're all here to kind of pass the SIE and pass the FINRA top off exams. Uh, and there's no need to make it super academic. Uh, I think that his approachable style is really important. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, if you want to take it away on that. Yeah. Thanks Tyler. Yeah. Just, to uh, introduce myself. I'm Brandon Rith and I, I've been, I've been helping people with finance related tutoring in some form or fashion for the last 12 years. Uh, I, I started in the industry around 2006 after uh, four years of a finance degree from Florida State. Jumped into working for Fidelity Investments and worked for their, you know, their, their trading department. I had a lot of different roles within that department, but soon found that uh, that, that that helping people and teaching people how how finance worked and essentially uh, what you need to know to work in this industry. Uh, be, you know, that's a passion of mine. I like helping other people. So uh, eventually, I, I found my way into their training department at Fidelity, and uh, at the height of my career there. I ran their entire licensing department, which was responsible for for uh, getting more than 2,000 people a year licensed across multiple tests. Uh, and in uh, last year, uh, around March of last year, I, I decided to start my own company, Basic Wisdom, to, to do this on my own and to just help people um, who are seeking help outside of their outside of their jobs or maybe their jobs don't have training programs that, that provide them with that type of support. 
And since then, I've created a company that focuses on specifically helping individuals and small groups get ready for for everything from the from the series four to the series six, series seven, 63, 65, 66. And, and now uh, I partnered with uh, Tyler and Justin at Achievable to attack the SIE, which is this uh, new exam that we're they're pretty excited to talk about a little bit more about today. That's that's my story. Yeah, and I think you know the the thing that's kind of cool about what we're trying to do is uh, you can't tutor everyone in the country, <laughs> uh, and for better or for worse, um, the SIE is going to be an exam that I think a lot more people are going to take, uh, and I think we can probably um, we can probably save that for later. Uh, well, let's jump right in first and give you the background, then we can tell you why uh, the SIE is going to be something that a lot more people are getting into. Um, well, first and foremost, I mean, on our agenda here, we've got to say, what is FINRA and what are these tests anyways? Um, and, you know, FINRA is short for Finance Industry Regulatory Authority. Um, and, you know, Brandon, I think, being the expert here, if you want to take it away on kind of the background of what is FINRA, why these tests exist, uh, and what they're for. Sure. FINRA might not be the most fun thing to talk about, just mainly because this is a, a, an organization that's making each of you take this exam. Uh, but but FINRA is important. FINRA is important for finance. Uh, if you've ever wondered why there's not widespread fraudulence or you know why if you hold your money in a brokerage account, why you don't, generally speaking, don't need to worry about the, the company taking your money and, and running to Vegas or doing something crazy with all of your assets, uh, FINRA is one of the main reasons why that's the case. In, in a nutshell, they are the gatekeepers of finance. Uh, they decide who and what companies essentially work with the public. And if you have a checkered past, let's say that you have a felony on your record and uh, and it doesn't seem like you should be working in finance, th- those type of people, generally speaking, don't make it past Fenra's test to work in the industry. And of course, that's that's no one that's listening to this podcast. But um, you know, to give a little bit of background on on Fenra, uh, Fenra was was created back in 2007. Uh, essentially, there was a merger between the New York Stock Exchange and NASD. We had two regulatory bodies form together and basically take on one task. Uh, They are a private organization whose ultimate job is to make sure the right people are working in finance, the right firms are employing the right people in finance, and also making sure that the people that are working in finance are are working with their clients in in the most beneficial way they can and not doing anything that they shouldn't. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, leading into kind of the next topic even, uh, the reason why these exams exist is because every job, particularly when you're dealing with clients' money, kind of has its own set of rules and regulations and also essentially like things that you need to know, like either common mistakes or just trip-ups. Uh, that you need to understand, right? Yeah, and just like any other industry that comes with a lot of responsibility, there's going to be some kind of licensing involved with that. The main point of all licensing is to make sure that you understand the basics to the industry that you're going into, and you understand the ethics of the uh, of the industry that you're going to. You know, finance is not always just black and white. There's a lot of gray in there. The point of the SIE and all the other exams that we might discuss in this podcast today, the point of it all is to make sure that you understand the rules of the road and that that you stay within your lane and and don't go beyond your capacity or or do something you know potentially unethical with a client, right? Yeah, and and so I think maybe let's start with the SIE, and then maybe we circle back and talk about the top off exams. Um, but essentially, I mean, to give my own brief introduction to what the SIE is and what this change is, uh, October 2018, which is quite recent. Um, what FINRA decided to do essentially was take the what you could call the first half 
of a lot of these different series exams that were for different jobs but had a lot of overlapping content um, and condensed it into one test, which is now the SIE. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you can probably run with that. Yeah, I can take it from there. Before the SIE was created, in order to take any of these exams, uh, you had to be registered and employed by one of these financial firms, whether it's a broker dealer or an investment advisory firm. And I, I personally think the reason why they created the SIE was to give an introductory exam that anyone could take. All you have to do is register on their website, pay a little bit of a, of a fee to, to get into the test center and sit for the exam. And the amount of information and, and the, the topics that you're studying for gives you a good idea of what finance is all about. I mean, you, you learn everything from the things that most people at least have an idea of what it is, like a stock or a mutual fund, but but it also goes deeper than that. The SIE talks about bonds, the rules and regulations of finance, uh, taxes, customer accounts. It, it goes fairly deep, but the good thing with the SIE is that it never goes to the level of needing you to be an expert in any of those areas. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about what, uh, what the SIE covers here in a second. Uh, yeah, so I think with the SIE, uh, what also FINRA was trying to do is uh, fix like the recruitment process a little bit for the finance industry. Um, when you think uh, the way that the recruitment worked in the finance industry before the SIE was that you would get hired by Fidelity and then Fidelity would train you to pass the SIE. It was basically the first thing you did. And if you failed you'd get a second shot at it a month later because it's required by law to be a month later um and if you failed the second time usually you were out of a job right i mean correct me if i'm wrong but it seemed like that was pretty common procedure across the industry and so that's very expensive and painful for everybody for the employee for the employer for the training staff um you know, the pass rate nationally is 65%, but big firms, the pass rate was closer to 85%, 90%. But you're still losing 10 to 15% of the people you wanted in your company. Um, and so that was, a, I think, a big problem they wanted to address. Yeah. I was never a, a hiring manager at Fidelity. I was a trainer, essentially. I, I oversaw a ton of people going through these exams. And unfortunately, I, I came across hundreds of different people over my 10-year career at Fidelity um, that, that never made it through these exams. And if you think about the reason why the SAE was, was created, you know, if you can give people kind of a head start on what the fundamentals of finance are and allow them to either take the test while they're in college or considering a, a move or a change of, uh, of, of career, I think it gives most people a leg up. I'm what they need to know to get into the industry and to be successful in the industry. So, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why probably the SIE was created. But again, uh, you know, th this allows anyone to take the test and, and it gives you an idea uh, when you're studying for it, uh, you know, what you're getting yourself into when you jump into this field. Yeah, exactly. I think it kind of helps everybody. And in the end, it'll probably, my guess is that within two years, it'll probably be something that most recruiters look for on your resume. Uh, but right now, that's not the case, which presents this interesting this kind of window where if you take it now, you're actually putting yourself at the top of the list or ahead of the pack in a way. For sure. The ultimate truth of it is that not, not everyone makes it through the SIE, but those that do, um, if you're trying to get yourself into a brokerage firm, I can tell you just from, from experience and working with the people that I typically work with, uh, that, that absolutely is a leg up on, on everyone else. And if you think about it from the employer standpoint, right now, employers do pay their new hires to, to study for this exam. On average, I'm, I'm usually seeing most employers 
employers give anywhere between two and four weeks of paid training to prepare for this exam. And, you know, if you're the employer, I mean, that's you're saving yourself two weeks to a month of salary um, by hiring someone who's already gone through the test. So I think it's huge. Yeah. And you have proof that they're going to pass because they already passed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. That's, it's, it's a lot stronger, I think. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely our, our approach and kind of our, our message, I guess, to, to you, the greater public. Um, I think it's a really good idea uh, to take this test and to kind of get it on your resume now um, and to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a good segue into kind of the next question, uh, which is really like, who should take this SIE exam, right? And and maybe even talk a little bit about what you saw uh, in your work experience about how sort of hiring profiles are changing and, and things like that. Anyone look getting looking to get into finance, I think uh, I think SIE is a good move. But in, in particular, number one, college students. I remember getting my finance degree, graduating, and not knowing exactly what I was going to do. And uh, and I can tell you right away, if I was in the my shoes, you know, ten years later with the SIE, I, I guarantee that that would have been a, a open door. Um, if I had already had that un, under my belt, if, you know, when I was talking to the recruiters and talking to the hiring managers there. But you know, co- college students huge, for, especially for anyone who's even considering getting into the industry. I think it's a great way to go. You know, also uh, people who are considering changing careers. Um, I, I can't tell you how many colleagues of mine you know, started uh, started in, in, in marketing or, or started in uh, started in the medical field. You know, started in the service in a different type of a ser- service industry that figured out that that industry wasn't for them, and then considered doing finance. Um, finance is cool. Um, finance is the reason why you people can do the things that they love to do. Um, yeah, there's numbers involved and yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of headaches with crunching numbers and thinking, thinking about 40 years down the road, if you're thinking about retirement, but at the same time, maybe if you've ever, if you've ever thought about taking, taking a trip to, to Europe or to start your own side business, or if you want to buy that first home, that finance is all attached to that. For a lot of people who are considering switching into finance, finance presents a kind of a challenge. Uh, cause you know, it's not the easiest thing to, to take on. It's not the easiest role because it's kind of a dual faced role. Not, not only do you have to understand the numbers and the and and all you know everything that goes on in finance but but also you need to be able to talk to people and, and build relationships going back to the career switchers I, I at this point in time I'm seeing a lot of people who are who are switching into finance that come from we have a lot of bartenders in the industry these days we have a lot of hospitality majors in our industries these days a lot of salespeople the, again the role is switching more to a relationship management role where again yeah you, you do need to understand what's going on in the markets you need to understand what a stock is what a bond is you got to crunch some numbers uh, here and there. Um, but, but also you need to be able to gain people's trust, discuss with them what their goals are and to connect their goals with their pocketbooks mm-hmm. essentially. Right. And I think that that is, I mean, we, uh, I, I sort of researched and wrote a blog post about this too, which will be out probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, but essentially, uh, with sort of the, the rise of robo-advisors doing a lot of the sort of number crunching and, and frankly just like basic stuff, um, every the, the financial advisor role has moved upstream, right? So the average financial advisor is actually handling clients worth more money than before. And those clients generally want a higher level of service and they want that like service experience uh, as opposed to just a salesperson where, frankly, as the client, once you kind of give them the money, maybe it wasn't that important, right? If you ever watch Boiler Room or even Wolf of Wall Street, 
you know, it, it, there isn't the impression that after the sale, those guys are really attentive necessarily. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's definitely changing. Yeah, I think um, the next thing kind of to cover here would just be talk about kind of what's on the SIE, uh, what you think is like the, the key topics, like sort of at a high level that's approachable to someone who's never heard of it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna try to keep this as a, a non-complicated and high level as I can. I just finished essentially writing, you know, the equivalent of a book for the Achievable Platform. Uh, and there's a lot of information the SIE covers. Without going into too much detail, uh, anything you can think of that comes to mind just with general finance uh, is going to be on the test. So, you know, stocks, you've got uh, bonds, uh, you've got mutual funds, ETFs. There's a number of different products people need to be aware of on the exam in terms of what the risks are, what are the benefits, who are the typical investors of those types of securities. Everything from those products that we just talked about to just the dynamics of the market. Um, you have to understand what the New York Stock Exchange is, what NASDAQ is, how the markets work. And, and essentially, um, uh, if you're looking to buy, let's say you want to go into the market and you want to buy 100 shares of Amazon, which truthfully would be very expensive with Amazon at $1,500 a share right now. Uh, but if you want to go in the market and buy some shares of Amazon, you know what that process is like. Uh, um, what happens behind the scenes? Where, do, where does your order go? How do you pay for your order? How long does it take for that to show up in your account, et cetera? You've got to understand how you know the, the kind of the logistics to the market, and and going back to the you know to to the accounts, we're also going to have to understand what brokerage accounts are and how they work. Um, there are such things as cash accounts where you're basically paying 100% for everything, uh, and then there are margin accounts where essentially you're borrowing money to invest into the market, which might seem a little bizarre if you never heard that before. But, uh, you know, and there's a ton of different types of accounts within those categories, whether it's an individual account, a joint account with your spouse, a guardianship account for someone who might be incapacitated, a custodial account for a kid, et cetera. In order to, to operate in finance and to work with people, um, you know, that's one of the questions you're going to you're gonna get if you talk to a client. I've got my wife, I've got my kids, uh, I've got this situation going on. What type of an account should I open? You'll have to understand that. And uh, maybe just a couple other points to point out is, you know, retirement accounts are a big part of the exam. You got to understand, you know, what type of account you need to open to save for retirement. And that's a big thing for a lot of people to be able to, to finally one day retire and, and be comfortable enough to say, hey, there's enough money in my account where I don't have to worry about working anymore. And last, uh, probably the, the the one of the more important points of the exam are, are ethics. Um, you're going to have to understand what, what it takes to be a registered representative, which is essentially what you'll be if you pass these exams. You'll be a registered financial representative of some, of some form that'll give you, you know, depending on the top-off exam that you take, uh, you'll have certain responsibilities, certain things you do, certain things you can't do. Um, but there, there's a, there are a lot of rules in finance that revolve back into ethics in terms of what do you need to do if you're going to be making money outside of your brokerage firm. Uh, if, you, if a client calls you and gives you a pretty crazy situation, how do you handle those situations? So um, it covers the gamut in finance, and, and hopefully get, that gives everyone a good idea of, uh, of at least the generalities in terms of what they'll see on the exam. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, it's it's to give you the tools so that when essentially customers like come to you with things that maybe it's illegal or maybe it's just 
something that they don't understand the rules, like you're equipped to handle that situation. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, the goal of Finra is to make you into a filter of forms. Um, one of the things I noticed when I first started working in finance is a customer would call up and and give you you know a, a thousand different things uh, to work with, and it's your job to understand what the important things are, what you can and can't do for them, and and to be able to present them with a solution to whatever issue or whatever goal that they're that they're seeking. Great. Yeah, I think that's a great summary of everything. Um, yeah. How? And I think you know the next thing maybe to talk about is just kind of how hard the SIE is, like in terms of, you know, problem solving, math, memorization, uh, and then also, um, like how long it takes to prepare. Uh, I think those are, those are probably things that people are going to want to Yeah. Yeah. And this one's a, I mean, to be honest, this is a tough one to answer. Um, it's, it's a little bit different for everyone, but I'm going to go with what the average person typically would say. Um, it's not the most difficult test, uh, you'll ever take in your life. And in fact, uh, when you pass the SIE and go on to your top off exam, whatever top off exam you take is going to be a step up in difficulty for sure. But the SIE itself, uh, you're going to be asked to remember a lot. Um, I, I, we're probably looking at over a thousand different topics that the, that the test is going to cover in some form. A lot of people will say the SIE is a mile wide and an inch deep, meaning that there's a lot of different things it covers, but it doesn't go that far in depth on any of those topics. So you're just going to have to understand the basics and the generalities to a lot of the things that you learn about in the on the SIE. Um, there's some problem solving involved. There, there's going to be a little bit of math involved, but to be honest, most people that take the SIE will tell me that maybe they pulled out their calculator once or twice on the exam, and it's a very basic calculation that they're doing. Um, I think ultimately most people will say the hardest part about the SIE is the, is the memorization part of it, but you know, utilizing achievable, I mean, that's what it's great for, you know, helping you, helping you memorize these things and utilizing personalized uh, technology to, to remind you of, of things that, that you've learned along the way. And, and right when you're about to forget them, uh, achievable is going to throw them your way to make sure that you, uh, that you don't. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, you know, what we've seen, um, so the series seven, so, which is our previous benchmark for time was probably 125 to 200 hours for the average person, like of studying time to prepare for. Uh, and for the SIE, because it's, you know, essentially broken that exam in half, uh, right now we're telling people it's around 50, but it's just pretty early. Again, this, this exam's only been out for about three months. Um, but I think most people are clocking in at around 50 if they're totally brand new. People that were in finance, maybe they were a bank teller or maybe they were already doing some like back office stuff and they're finally getting ready to get their license and move sort of to the, to the front lines. Uh, those people are actually a bit faster. Um, I've, you know, looking on forums and things like that, I've seen people say as low as 20 hours to get prepared. Um, but I would say if you're coming in fresh, uh, be prepared for about 50 hours. And the best way to think about that is you say, if I study one hour a day, or if I average, say, you know, five hours a week, how long is that in weeks or days? Uh, and that, that gives you a good sort of budget to work with when you're, when you're trying to plan around this. I think then, uh, I think the next thing, um, would be just to kind of quickly go over, uh, the top off exams and what they cover. And then I think we could probably wrap up from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, the SIE again, it's a, it's a fundamental exam. It's going to get your foot in the door typically if you're looking to get an interview. Um, but by no means the end of the road, uh, it's just the, the first step. 
and, uh, and and from there you'll you'll probably have to take multiple exams on, beyond the SIE to do whatever job you're hired to do. So you know the the, the top offs that, that you'll have to take post the SIE. Uh, the the first one that comes to mind is a series six, and I'll I'll try my best to just go in order here. But the the series six, uh, the which is it's an investment company representative exam. Um, essentially, an investment company is a is an organization that invests people's money for them. And the best example there is a mutual fund. So if you're being hired by an investment firm to sell mutual funds or to, or to deal with accounts that only have access to mutual funds, uh, this Series 6 is probably going to be the exam they're going to have you take. Um, some people refer to it as a limited securities representative exam, and it's uh, it just you, you can do a fair amount with it, but stocks, bond trading, options, Etc. is not is not something you'll be doing with the Series Six. If you're looking to to help people buy and sell stocks, options, and bonds, the Series Seven is going to be the exam that you take. Um, it's not as a general securities representative exam, and and the the key the word there is is general. Uh, it's a general securities representative exam. You, you essentially have a lot of access to different types of products and talking about different types of products, trading different types of products, dealing with different types of accounts. Um, you know, a, a lot of people will know about the Series 7 because if you are if you see any type of finance movie, whether it's Boiler Room or Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, they mention the Series 7 in both, and that's that's usually the first step in those movies is, is for those characters to go through the process of getting their Series 7, even though they essentially forget what they learned on that test almost immediately afterwards and do some pretty unethical stuff. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, beyond that, you know, th- there's a bunch of other, uh, exams that you, you know, if you've done a little bit of research, you may not have even come across these. And these are, these are more on the specialized side. So there's a series 22, uh, which is, uh, known as a direct participation program representative. We refer to those as DPPs in the industry, but, uh, DPPs are, they're limited partnership investments for the most part. They're very unique. Typically, if you're going to be working for, say, like an oil and gas limited partnership or, say, a real estate limited partnership, uh, you would get this license to be able to sell those types of products. And again, that's a, that's a very specialized uh, type of license. And if you're more interested in it, I'm sure you can do some, li- some, some Googling and figure out more about that. You got the Series 57, which is a securities trader uh, license, which uh, a, a lot of people end up using to trade for institutions or to trade for proprietary account for larger firms. Um, you know, essentially, in that with that exam, you're going to learn a lot about the stock market, a lot about bond trading, a lot about just just you know, option trading as well, and a lot about how the markets operate. Yeah, um, they're they're going to throw you through the ringer on that that exam, so that'll take some time to prepare for. But next, uh, Series 79 investment banking representative in finance, investment bankers are are most well known for initial public offerings. These are companies that that are hired by other organizations to help them sell you know, securities to the to the public. Uh, so as an example. You know, 2012, Facebook went through their initial public offering. They went public for the first time and they hired Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley as their investment bankers that essentially helped sell their stock to the public. And uh, and if you were part of that process, getting the Series 79 would, would be would, would be something that those firms would probably make you go through. Um, <clears throat> just a few more here. We got the Series 82, which is the private securities offerings representative. A private securities offering, which is also known as a private placement, is basically where a company is selling their security to a small group um, and not the general public. A lot of the normal rules that you'll learn about on the SIE and the other exams just don't apply in those types of situations. But there, there's some intricate ethics that, that are involved there, and, and the Series 82 will, will teach you those. 
Um, <clears throat> the series 86 and 87, without going into too much detail, is a research analyst uh, license. If you're going to work in any type of job that's going to be looking at different types of securities, like, you know, st- again, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, that type of stuff, if, if you're going to be doing s- any kind of research on those types of securities and publishing reports on those types of securities, you'll probably need to go through one, one or both of those exams. And then the, the last one uh, that we'll talk about today is the series 99, which is the operations professional. You can get a job in finance that may not even deal with one retail client. Um, your job might be just making sure that the brokerage firm that you work for just runs correctly, that systems run, that the telephone systems work, um, and, and, and essentially making sure that, that, the, that all the bells and whistles and, the, and that the machine of finance continues to work within your company. And typically operations professionals work kind of in the, in the back office, kind of in the shadows of the firm. But uh, if you're going to be a supervisor in that world, you usually need to go through the Series 99. But, uh, but those, are, those are your top-off exams. Great. Yeah, and I think the – I mean, at least for me, um, and maybe this is just because I kind of come at it from a consumer perspective – it seems like the the ones that are most popular and sort of all deal with front office or what you would ostensibly call like the salespeople at another type of company. Um, they are the series six, seven, and seventy nine to an extent. Um, and then the fifty seven, I actually don't know as much about. I'm curious, like, what would you say if you're just from a career point of view? Is the difference between those? Um, and yeah, just like if like what type of person succeeds in each? Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. And the uh, if we're talking six, seven, seventy nine, you're usually we're talking more probably the more personable type of person. Uh, and I'm not saying that if you take the series fifty seven that you're not personable, but but you know it, you you need to have some per, some people skills that uh, if you're going to be taking on the six, seven, or seventy nine because you're you're almost always going to be either taking phone calls from from random clients or building a book of business and making sure you're managing those relationships with your clients. Whereas your series fifty seven. And again, that's your securities trader exam. Um, most of the colleagues I know that, that have that license either work for a firm's proprietary trading department. And what that means is that they trade for their company's accountants. Sounds a little bizarre, but one of the ways that Goldman Sachs, which is one of the biggest investment you know, investment firms out there. One of the one of the ways they make the most money is with their proprietary trading account, which is literally their. It's just an account that they own, and they go out into the market and they buy and sell securities and try to make profits on those securities. So if you're if you're working in that department in some capacity, you'll probably have that that type of a license. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and sort of, I think one thing I noticed when I was doing my research is like the biggest difference between the six and seven. Uh, sort of before the SIE, the six was considered kind of the baby seven, and I'm not sure if that's still true. But with yeah, but but with the six, you are limited to selling packaged products. Essentially, you can only sell like and a packaged product. To, just to kind of unpack what that means, really quick, a product in the finance world is like a financial instrument that you sell to a client. And then a packaged product is like literally just a package of different securities or things uh, that bring bring together into a single thing like a bundle that you're selling to a client. Is that like a fair representation of that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, most people probably have at least heard the term mutual fund, which, you know, just in a nutshell, if, if I take my money and I hand it over to a mutual fund, they're going to take my money and invest into a bunch of different 
you know, securities. Like for instance, if I give my money to a stock mutual fund, let's say they, they take, I give them ten thousand dollars. They're going to take my ten thousand dollars and invest it into a bunch of different stocks. Um, and there's a professional that runs that portfolio. So, uh, so basically, it's it's for the person that doesn't want to, you know, sit and you know do a bunch of research themselves and figure out what what stocks and what bonds to put their money into. These packaged products come come with the ability of of you handing your money over to a professional and have them essentially take care of that for you. Yeah, take care of the allocation, right? That's yep. essentially what they do all day. Yeah, um, that's, their, that's their job is to make you money. Yeah, and then the Series 7 is more of a sort of Swiss Army knife. You, yeah. you actually get to do almost everything uh, minus life and health insurance real estate and like a couple other small sort of niche things. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, again, the general securities representative, you're going to do everything from stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, exchange traded notes, uh, closed in funds. There's, there's a number of different investments you can deal with with the series seven. And so if you're working for a firm and you're going to be you know talking to clients about just general investing, if it's going to go anything beyond a mutual fund or say a variable annuity, if you've ever heard of that, then they're probably going to kick you from the six to the seven and, and require you to take the series seven. All right. Well, great. I feel like we have covered everything kind of around the SIE and career aspirations. Um, And again, you know, this is Tyler York here from Achievable. Um, And with Brandon uh, at Basic Wisdom, we have put together a digital uh, FINRA SIE course that we would love for you to check out. It is actually free to try. Uh, So if you want to go to achievable.me, uh, you can try it out on your own and see if you like it and see if sort of the material is something that you're interested in. Uh, and uh, Brandon, also, if you're looking for more advanced help or if you're someone who knows this is something you want to do, uh, Brandon's one of the best tutors out there. And highly recommend him. Yeah, if, uh, and, and at the very least, if you have any questions or concerns about anything, I'd love to give you any kind of guidance on the exam and reach out to me. Uh, check out my website, which is basicwisdom.net. I'd be more than happy to help. All right. Thanks very much, Brandon. Have a good one. And uh, we will see you guys next month on the Achievable Finner SA podcast. Thanks, Tyler.